Today, um, in our series through Joel, I have been tasked with talking about the Valley of Decision. And when I think about the Valley of Decision, I think about the words of Joshua uh, to the Israelites of, choose this day whom you will serve. Um, I, I tend to think of it as about my decision and about... Um, even more importantly, my decisions. Uh, Every decision we make reflects the orientation of our hearts. And even simple, small decisions can be consequential decisions. I, I knew a guy who was a fitness coach in Virginia Beach, and he said, you didn't gain the weight overnight. Don't expect to lose it overnight either. It's a series of right choices, a series of unique individual decisions that lead us into a direction that is the path that we take. Sometimes our personal decisions have corporate consequences, and we'll talk about this as we get to the end of this reflection, but um, personal decisions can have corporate consequences. And so what we do matters, and not just to us, but to the community and to the world at large. So uh, we have arrived in the place of this sermon, in the place of this series, rather, the sermon series, to the Valley of Decision. You know, sort of the ominous drumroll, the dum you know, what, what is this Valley of Decision? Who, whose decision? What decision? Well, the text indicates it's not necessarily my decision exclusively, but it's also the value of decision is also about the Lord's decision. It's about the Lord's judgment. It says in Joel 3.2, just before the passage that Ryan just read, starting at 3.9, 3.2 says, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people in my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered my people among the nations and have divided up my land. This would suggest that the Lord is going to rescue Israel from some sort of bully who has oppressed and enslaved his people. The locust that we hear about all the way through Joel, the locusts are literal. Everything green is gone. But they're also figurative in the sense that Israel has been overrun by her enemies and foreign cultures have predominantly overrun the culture and the traditions of Judaism. These cultures have enslaved them to idolatry. A plague has come upon Israel and the Lord is going to fix it. But why was it allowed to happen in the first place? If we look a little deeper we will discover that Israel wasn't completely innocent in all of this. Israel has a long tradition of slipping into the idolatry of other cultures. Uh, They've gotten complacent. That's a big word, but it has real consequences. Complacent and their laziness has allowed them to slip into this mess. You see, when we get complacent about our decisions... We get sluggish, we get lazy, and we get fat. And if we look at this, this is why 
this theme of return to the Lord is so central to Joel. And it's so central for us in this Lenten season. Return to the Lord in this Lenten season. Yes, yes, a bunch of bad stuff has happened to Israel. Yes, some of it is not their fault. But some of it is. Some of it they have gotten themselves into. So before we go any further into today's text, let's just recap very briefly. We talked about lament. Lament is to regret the choices that we've made, to regret the choices that have landed us where we are, to regret the choices that put us into the situation that we're in. To repent is to turn around and to return to the Lord, to change our ways. Last week, Gary talked about uh, the Holy Spirit and I will pour out my spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does when he comes is to renew and to restore. So when we lament and we repent, the Holy Spirit comes and renews and restores. If I'm going to add my word, my R word to this alliterative cycle, my R word would be respond. How do we respond? The first verse of today's reading demonstrates the severity of the situation. Consecrate for war. This is serious. Even people unfit for war are being called into action. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Everyone, the farmer, the vine dresser, the weak, they need to get ready. They need to be prepared. This is, of course, a little bit of hyperbole, and it's a little bit prophetic speak for the battle against sin, because swords and spears aren't really much good against locusts, and they're really not going to do anything against a battle of cultures, against a battle that has to do with our wills and our decisions. The war that Israel needs to prepare for ironically, is actually one that the Lord has already won. Uh, The Lord has already won this war for his people. The only decision that remains for them and actually remains for us as well is to choose to be his people. If we are his people, then he has won the war for us. Who are his people? Well, his people are people that repent, people that return to him. His people are people set apart by his presence upon whom he has poured out his Holy Spirit. I'm paraphrasing from Exodus 33, 16, but uh, the Lord's telling Moses to, to take the Israelites out after they've crossed the Red Sea. And Moses says, I'm not going unless your spirit goes with us. He says, how will they know that we are your people if your presence doesn't go with us? How will they know that we've been set apart If your presence doesn't go with us, we are a people set apart by the presence of the Lord. And if Israel is his people, how much more are we his people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus? That ultimate sacrificial lamb, that ultimate payment for our sins. The Valley of Decision is about his judgment against the enemies of his people. But it's also about our decision to be his people. What we do with our lives, how we live, 
These show us to be his people. He has already chosen us. But we have to choose him. We have received grace and mercy. So shall we continue in the old ways, the very ways that got us into this mess in the first place, because grace and mercy abound? Paul would say, Meganoita, by no means. God forbid. Everyone and everything suffers from our sins. There are personal consequences and corporate consequences. And if the sin of Israel is complacency, then we might, I may, be guilty of the same sin. But as we move closer to the light, the more we see. And as we move closer to the light and we see more, our definition of sin may expand. It may change. The more you see, the more you see, as the saying goes. And the brighter the light, the more dirt you see. From right here, I promise you my hands look clean. (laughs) When you get closer, there's a lot of dirt under my fingernails. But the more I put my hands under the light, the more dirt I see. Sin kind of has that kind of effect, and so does sanctification. As we grow nearer to the Lord, the more things that didn't bother us start to bother us. The more things that aren't really sinful may become sin to us. This is where I'm going to shift gears a little bit to kind of close things out. And I'm going to meddle a little bit. Um, When we think of ourselves as um, Americans, when we think of ourselves as Western Christians, what do we think of in terms of our responsibility to the environment? And I'm not talking about some sort of leftist, green, crunchy granola environmental agenda. I'm talking about stewardship of the world around us. Because most of us are so disconnected from our created food system, from how we get our food, that we don't see the process that's behind it. We go to the store, we exchange this stuff called money for this stuff that we eat. And I say stuff that we eat because I'm not even sure that some of it's food, right? You ever look at the back of the labels on some of this stuff, it's hard to pronounce. We've gone a long way from where we used to be. When I think of my grandparents or my great-grandparents, that generation they would kill a chicken for Sunday dinner. They had the chicken to kill for Sunday dinner. They were intimately connected with the land. It's our manifest destiny idea in the U.S. that has sort of gotten us into this mess. And we don't think about the decisions that we make on a daily basis as having consequences. Here's the verse that I've been saving And it's a verse that just, it's right in the center of Joel. And it really struck me. And he's talking about um, this overrunning of Israel by these locusts. And again, the locusts can be the figurative creatures that are wiping out everything green. And the locusts can be the invading culture and the lackadaisical attitude of Israel towards these people that are actually eroding their identity. 
They're eroding their heritage. The, the verse is Joel 2.3. And it says, The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. When I think about what we inherited and the land that we found as we moved west, we found places like Iowa and Illinois with 18 feet, 18 feet of fertile topsoil. It's down to about six now in about 150 years. We're losing it very rapidly. It's because of the practices and the way that we do agriculture now that has taken these resources, these deposits, these natural resources and depleted them. They're actually all found out in the mouth of the Mississippi River outside of New Orleans. And there is a dead zone the size of Rhode Island from all the chemicals that we spray on the land that wash down river and kill everything in its path. Roundup being one of them. I told you, I was moving into meddling here. If you follow the watershed of the Missouri and Mississippi rivers, you see cancer incidences on a Chernobyl scale event because of the water solubility of glyphosate and how it moves and concentrates as it comes downstream. I don't think this is pleasing to the Lord. But what does that mean to you and to me who don't live in the Missouri watershed or the Mississippi watershed or any of that? It means that we have to be conscious of our decisions and the decisions that backed the decision that we're backing, if that makes sense. Who's the producer? Where did this come from? What did it cost to produce? Because faster, fatter, bigger, cheaper, which is sort of the industry speak for all food production these days, is leading us to be chronically unhealthy and desperately sick. If we're going to live differently for the Lord to show his mercy and his goodness, we need to live differently. The good news in all of this is the way the Lord designed creation is that when we work with it, it restores itself. When we work with it and we massage creation, it produces an abundance that we can't get with chemical fertilizers and synthetic pesticides. There is a synthesis and a choreography in the way the Lord designed everything. And if we just follow that pattern, we can get so much better results. But we have to be willing to give up our old ways. We have to be willing to see our own responsibility. And this is where I come back to this thing of what we knew was bad was bad. But sometimes we see things that, mean, that make things that we thought were okay no longer okay. And once we get to that point, we are in that valley of decision. We have to choose how we are going to respond and move forward. This is not about me, but I will make this example using me and my family because it's why we're here. 
we are here because I believe and the scriptures tell us that the Lord wants his people, particularly his priests, to show people the way that they are supposed to respond, the way that they are supposed to live. And so we've taken a big risk to live differently. And we're in the process of building our house and setting up our farm. And we're going to be planting that church community, farm church community on our property to demonstrate this other way. Because guess what? The young people care about the environment. They may not know Jesus, but they know the environment and they care about that. And if we can introduce them to Jesus and say the Lord also cares about this creation, that's a win-win for me. But look at what happens with the consequences of sin. And I'll just I'll read this and I'll close this up. But this is chapter one. Verses one through ten or sorry, chapter one, beginning at verse ten. And just listen to what has happened. To the land and to the creation, to the environment in Israel. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tiller of the soil. Wail, O vine dresser, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up. The fig tree languishes. Pomegranates, palm, and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up. The gladness dries up from the children of man. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priest. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land, to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, that day of judgment is near, and his destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clod, and the storehouses are desperate. The granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beast groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed because no one There is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pasture of the wilderness and flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. But today's reading, we see the vats overflowing. We see the oil presses running again. We see the restoration and the judgment and the restoration that the Lord promises. I'm not usually the doom and gloom guy. I'm the good news and hope and mercy guy. I'm the be filled with the Holy Spirit guy. But I think we all have some responsibility here. And I think that when we take these little steps, God honors them. And more than that, he blesses them. 
And we begin to see fruitfulness in places that we would have never imagined or never seen before. What ways do we need to raise our consciousness? Do you need to raise your consciousness of the things and the decisions that we make? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the goodness of your creation and for your hand in creation. Lord, thank you that you restore all things, you redeem all things, and that by Jesus and by his life and death, you have brought us into that relationship of everlasting life with you. Lord, thank you that you have given us uh, the gift of yourself, that your Holy Spirit lives in us, and that because of that, um, we have the ability to do the work that you have called us to do. It is not by sword or by might, but by your spirit, your word says. And so, Lord, we ask for more of your spirit to lead us, to guide us, and to show us how we are to live, the decisions that we should make. And, Lord, help us, give us the strength to make the right decisions for your glory and for the name of Jesus. Amen.